Hey, Grace family, this is Pastor Mark. It is Wednesday, November 15th, 2023. And this is the audio version of the weekly refresh that I sent to you in an email today. And I will read it verbatim here for those of you who would like to listen to the audio version. On Sunday, I preached to you the importance of working out our own sanctification through the endurance of suffering that is caused by your willingness to take the loss at your own expense so to express the gospel reality of considering others as more important than yourself. The point on Sunday was that we do not need to seek justice in all situations, as some circumstances require that we endure and choose to lose for the sake of others. The premise of this encouragement is that we are assured by God that he will one day right all wrongs and have his vengeance on all injustices. We find this in Romans 12, 19-20. In Isaiah 61, we get another reminder of God's love for justice, his mercy on his people, and his promise to one day judge all wrongs and fix all the injustices against his chosen people. To provide some context for Isaiah 61, we must first know that the nation was previously divided into two parts, the northern kingdom of ten tribes, we call that Israel, and the southern kingdom of two tribes, which is Judah, and that Different prophets were assigned to either one of these kingdoms. Isaiah was a prophet to Judah at the time when Assyria, the world's most powerful nation at the time, was threatening to invade Israel and then also invade Judah. In approximately 732 BC, Assyria began to exile Jews from Israel and threatened to invade Judah. By 722 BC, Assyria had taken over the northern ten tribes of Israel and exiled and relocated the people into the Neo-Assyrian Empire. At this time, Assyria was knocking on the door of Judah and threatening to invade and conquer Jerusalem. As we all know, Jerusalem is the capital of the nation and is the epicenter of the religious activity which housed the temple. And Jerusalem was in Judah, not in Israel not in the northern kingdom, Israel, but the city was in the northern part of Judah, just barely south of Israel, making it the obvious next city to invade for Assyria, who was also motivated to destroy the Jews' most precious city and temple. With the threat of captivity and losing Jerusalem, the Judeans are worried, scared, and shook. But God speaks through Isaiah in the midst of this Assyrian invasion to protect Jerusalem. In 722 BC, Assyria finally invaded Jerusalem, but they were unable to take it over and they could not destroy the temple. Now later in 586 BC, Babylon will destroy the first temple and they will take Judah captive. With the constant threat and terror of the Syrians and with many Jews being taken, the people get a taste of the consequences of their sins to rebel against God. God had warned Israel for centuries of the possible judgments they could incur due to their sins against their covenant with God. This invasion from Assyria was one of the ways that God judged his people for their wickedness. Israel was conquered by Assyria because they only ever had bad and evil kings ruling them and leading them into total wickedness. But Judah was often ruled by godly men who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, preventing Judah from being overwhelmed by Assyria. However, the reign of Assyria, just to the north, their threat to invade, and their besieging 
Jerusalem while watching their fellow Jews being hauled off to foreign lands created a tremendous amount of fear in Judah. So God sends Isaiah to give them hope. In Isaiah 61, he clarifies that this is the Lord speaking through him. Quote, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. That's Isaiah 61 verse 1. Isaiah then goes on to describe all the good news that God is delivering to Judah through a series of injustices being corrected by God to rescue his people from their idolatry, their sin, and oppressing nations. Isaiah proclaims that God will bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and proclaim the opening of the prison to those who are bound. What is Isaiah talking about? Freedom. God is going to free his people from the burden of Assyria. He's proclaiming that they will be protected because God will keep his covenant promise to ensure that Israel keeps their land eventually as the covenant guarantees. In verse 2, Isaiah says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah is referring to the year of Jubilee. That's the year of the Lord's favor. Every seventh year, Israel would have a Sabbath year, which would include rest for the land, which meant no farming during the year, which God would bless. The year of Jubilee would come after the seventh Sabbath year every 49 years. The following year, the 50th year, they would celebrate the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee would be a whole year of rest from work, celebration of God's goodness, worship, forgiving debts, reconciliation of all conflict within the people, releasing slaves, and returning property to others. This was a significant year of God's blessing, a year that all Jews look forward to. Isaiah proclaims that in that year, God will use it to make all things right for Israel because it will be a time of vengeance of our God. That's from verse 2. I don't have enough time here to walk through all the specific details of the blessings that God promises to his people in this chapter, but it is filled with God fixing all the wrongs and making all things well for his people. Why? to provide his people with hope of a brighter and better future with God as their king. And this hope strengthens them to endure their hardships so to pursue God with faithfulness. This is a grand chapter of God causing freedom for his people. He will, this is from verse three, comfort all who mourn, give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Why? Verse three, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. He goes on to describe how he will rebuild their nation, repair their ruins, that foreigners will share in their glory, hint, hint, and that they will be the priest of the Lord to the world, receiving double portion from God. Then in verse eight, God says, for I, the Lord, love justice, and then describes how he will faithfully restore his people from their injustices. The only response to, that is appropriate to this kind of favor from God is expressed in the final verses of joy and praise to God for all that he promises to do, knowing that his promises will be fulfilled. So what does this have to do with us? 
Isaiah 61 is one of those Old Testament texts that has its fulfillment in Israel's time, where God does all that he says he will do. However, even when he actually frees Israel and restores their nation and fixes all wrongs and rights all injustices, this text is still not fulfilled. Why? Because it gets fulfilled later. And we know this because that is exactly what Jesus said. In Luke 4, Jesus enters the synagogue in Nazareth and is handed the scroll of, of Isaiah. And he turns specifically to Isaiah 61 and he reads it out loud. This is Luke 4, 18 through 19. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then after sitting down to a stunned crowd, Jesus blows their mind even more and says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's Luke 4.21. The people are marveled and some hated him for this and asked him to prove it by performing miracles to which he refused, but instead declared wrath against those who would not believe in him. So they tried to throw him off a cliff, but he escaped. While the Jews believed Isaiah 61 to be only a historical retelling of events 700 years earlier, Jesus said that those words were written about him. He is the anointed. He proclaims good news to the poor. He sets the captives free. He restores sight to the blind, both physically and spiritually. He liberates the oppressed and he is the coming of the Lord's favor. That made many Jews uncomfortable. Isaiah's words were fulfilled in Israel's history approximately 700 years before Jesus. But then Jesus says that these words were never meant to only be fulfilled physically, but that in Christ, they would be completely and finally fulfilled. Meaning the year of Jubilee, which was a year of blessing and freedom and restoration every 50 years for Israel, was always meant to point to the day of spiritual blessing, spiritual freedom from sin, and restoration of God to his people through Christ alone. And Jesus proclaimed in Luke 4 that the year of Jubilee, or the year of the Lord's favor, had finally finally arrived in Jesus. All of Israel's history was meant to point them to the coming of Christ. Keep in mind that Isaiah 61 comes right after Isaiah declared one of the most profound expressions of Jesus in all of scripture, Isaiah 53, which was his declaration of the coming Messiah. He then follows that up with the declaration of the coming Messiah again in Isaiah 61. Isaiah 53 is about the person of Christ and his value and his work and his glory and mainly his sacrifice and suffering. Isaiah 61 is about what Isaiah 53 will provide for God's chosen people, freedom, hope, life, salvation, and blessing. Israel was promised this Messiah, but they rejected him, John 1.11. Therefore, God's salvation, God's Messiah, was offered to all people from all nations, including you and me. This is why Isaiah said, "'Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks,' Foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. That's Isaiah 61.5. This was God's prophecy 
about salvation being offered to Gentiles who will step in to become the imputed branches of God's olive tree, replacing the branches he broke off. That's Israel. And we find that in Romans 11. So what does all this mean? Isaiah ends by saying, For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Isaiah 61.11 Notice how God's focus shifts from Judah's blessing to the blessing of all nations. Why? Because God intended this chapter to be about the blessing of Jesus to all nations, providing salvation to all nations and to all peoples. As Israel had proved over and over again, they were not capable of being obedient to God's law on their own. Therefore, God's final promise here is that the Lord God will cause righteousness, Isaiah 61.11. God cannot count on people to be good because we are inherently and completely and totally depraved of any good. Therefore, through Christ, God causes our righteousness by Jesus himself being perfectly righteous and imputing his righteousness into us. Why? So that no one can take credit for their salvation, Ephesians 2, 9, and so that God may be glorified, Isaiah 61, 3. So what is the application other than the obvious joy we should live in due to God's incredible grace? Notice the correlation between God's salvation and God's justice. His justice is not only against sin within, but against sin that is expressed outside of us, in the world, around us. When God saves, it entails his justice being forced upon all wrongs and all sin and all offenses against God's holiness. Meaning, we do not need to feel a sense of righting all wrongs, but instead, just as we trust God to save us, we should also trust God to deal with injustice in his time, according to his plan, and in his own way. Therefore, instead of looking to the wrongs of others that is motivated by a righteous desire to see righteousness reign, genuine trust in God steps back from that responsibility and looks inward at our own personal sin and makes that our priority. So to ensure that we are at least doing our part in promoting God's glory through the righteousness of Christ that he has placed within you. So do not seek to make all others right like you. Instead, seek to show others what God showed you. Grace, mercy, love, patience, salvation, and blessing. That will be the best route to righting all wrongs in this life. And all those injustices and wrongs that are not corrected by the time he returns, he will deal with on his own. Our job is simply to get out of the way, let him be God, and pay attention to our own hearts, Proverbs 4.23, so that we are not in the path of his judgment when he comes to make all things right.